thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. So our subject today is how to stay thankful in a, in a hard-to-get-along-with world. I know that's a long title, but how to stay thankful in a hard-to-get-along-with world. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It's out of the English Standard Version because I think it reads the best with this particular scripture. So look with, it, with me at it, if you will. It says, but thanks be to God who always, say always. always. Say it again. Always. That's a strong word. Who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and then through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Now there are two realities that I see in this text and we're gonna keep referring back to it. So we're gonna camp mostly there. I have a couple of verses that will pop up on the screen. But there are two realities. And I use the word realities is because they're real. <laughs> this is truth about Two things I want to point out in this text. In order to stay thankful in a hard to get along with world. And I'll explain that in just a moment. The first reality is this. Guaranteed success. That's what this text is at. What Paul is saying here. To every believer, there's a guaranteed success. Look what it says in verse 14, the first part of that. Thanks be to God who again, always, say always, leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Everything about that verse talks about victory. Everything in that verse just, uh, just projects in a way that, that God always leads us in that victory in that triumphal possession. You might not feel like it's always happening, but it's a reality that we can live in. Paul says, God leads us. He leads us in this triumphal procession. Now, if you want to be uh, in a victory parade, make sure that you get hooked up with the winners. Isn't that true? If you want to be in a victory parade, make sure that you're linked up with winners. Then you can be in a victory parade. Yesterday, like every Saturday, is kind of like college football day, especially during the season. Cheryl loves college football more than the professional football. And so we always have the TV on, no matter what we're doing, and she's decorating the house. And I'm in my study yesterday, but we're listening to the, to the games. Uh, and we're in the season, the time of the season where there's rivalries being played and there are also playoff positions that are being bidded for and played for. Fortunately, my two teams won yesterday, Penn State and Colorado. 
<laughs> Amen. So it's the only two states I've lived in. So Penn State, it's been pretty good this year. They beat Ohio State, believe it or not. They're the ones that beat Ohio State. And then Colorado won also. But you know, you get a sense of um, that you're a winner when your team wins. It, it, there, there's a feeling that comes with being on the winning side or somehow related to, in some way, the winning side. I, I asked the question now, because when I think of Penn State and I think of their games, and their stadium holds, I think, 107,000 people. I know that stadium, I've been to games there, but 107,000 people packed in a fairly small town beside the university there in State College, Pennsylvania, 107,000 people jammed in that just shouting and hooting for their team. And then when their team wins, there's nothing like it. They have what they call whiteouts there. And it's just, they all dress in white and it's completely whiteout, especially when they played um, Ohio State this year. Now, why is there so much joy over a football team or a baseball team? or a hockey team, whatever, a soccer team, whatever. Why is there so much joy attached to it for people who, in anticipation, go to the games expecting their team to, to win, at least hoping that their team will win? And there's a lot of joy that comes with a winning team. Now, if you're a fan, here's the way you think. That's my team. There's a, there's a personal attachment. I mean, you might be distance away, like I am from Pennsylvania, but somehow that still resonates with me that that's my team. There's some kind of relationship. They represent uh, my city or my state. And in some mystical way that's really hard to, de to define, they represent you or they represent me. And it's, 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 there's, there's a mysticism about that. Uh, they represent you. You belong to them and they belong to you. There's kind of an ownership that you feel. You might never been even in the stadium. But somehow there's some type of ownership. There's some kind of connect. How many know what I'm talking about? There's some kind of connect. Now, if you're not a fan, you're probably saying, man, I have no idea what he's talking about. But true fans understand this. And you don't even really have to be a true fan. But when your team wins, you win. That's basically it. And that's the picture, and I say all that because that's the picture behind Paul's words here. He's thinking at this time when he's writing this, because what Paul would do in his world, and I'm talking about 2,000 years ago, in his world, when he would write, he would make a connection, an analogy, or an illustration of something that's happening in his world at that time to what he was writing. For instance, he would write about a Roman soldier and the armor in Ephesians chapter 6 because he was familiar with seeing the Roman soldier in its, his armor. So he related to that armor and then used it in a spiritual way for a message or a thought that he wanted to get across. And that's what Paul is doing here. Now here's what Paul's thinking of. He's thinking of the parades that were held in Rome. So he's not in Rome at this time, but he's thinking about the parades that are held in Rome when a victorious general 
brought his troops home from battle. Now, how many saw Ben-Hur here? Okay, there's a picture, a little picture in Ben-Hur. You remember Ben-Hur and was Charlton Heston is on the ship and he's a slave at this particular time and he's rowing the oars and there's a battle and you know, the general is, goes overboard and he rescues the general, do you remember that? So then they make their way back. He doesn't know, the general doesn't know he won the battle, but they won a great victory. And as a result of it, he's invited to Rome and there's this parade that takes place. How many remember seeing that parade? Well, it's true, that's what, exactly what they used to do. So they would have a parade. Now the rules governing, governing the parade were kind of strict. There was a way that you did it. There was the general that was involved in it and he had to have complete victory in order to be honored at the parade. He would have had to subdue the enemy, follow me. He had to be with his victorious soldiers in the parade and they were coming home safely. Now some say that he would have had at least destroyed 5,000 of the enemy to really have this parade in his army or the fleet that must have been on the ship. And, and the general must have gained positive territory, not merely defending already territory that was Rome's, but he had to gain territory for Rome. There were public officials, there were trumpeteers, there were the spoils of the battle that were brought back from the conquered country that they defeated. They even had a white bull that would be in that parade because the white bull would be sacrificed to their gods. They're very specific about the details of the parade. There were the captives, and they were in chains. They were in the parade also. There were the musicians. The general appeared on his chariot pulled by six white horses. They were the people that lined the streets, the soldiers, the family members of the general that were in the parade. And the pre people along the parade route would be shouting triumph, triumph, triumph over and over again. If a person were lucky, something like this would happen one time in your life, would happen to a general parade. So Paul gives this description because what he's thinking of the parade, but he's also thinking about something else, and hopefully you are by now. And that is our conquering general or king. Think about it. His name is Jesus. So Paul's trying to get a message across that like these generals and like this procession, we have a king or a general that has conquered. He's our conquering general. But the picture goes beyond just Jesus as a conquering king or general, and it goes and it brings in his people into this. We triumph because he triumphed. We're on the winning side because he won. And he's leading the parade, he's the reason for the parade, but we're included in that procession. And it's called a triumphal procession. It's a grand victory parade. Jesus, having subdued all his enemies, he marches in ultimate triumph. The undefeated sovereign and ultimate victor 
No one could stop him. No one could stand against him. Paul says that all who believe in him march with him in his victory parade. I want you to see this. Because this is a great, great truth. Here's, here's how we can, we're encouraged to be overcomers in the world and continue to be thankful because this is a reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. That parade, that victory is ours. We didn't fight the battle. We didn't shed our blood. We didn't sweat over it. Jesus won it, but yet we have been included. We have been brought into this picture that Paul is talking about. When he wins, we win because we're on his team. He wins the victory, but we share in the triumph. He gets the glory, but we join him in the grand celebration. How many know we're blessed? This is all yours if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Man, that's something to be thankful for. That's why Paul starts out these words. He says, thanks be to God who always, say always, leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. So that's ours. That's the reality. That's something we ought to lay hold of. That's something the Spirit of God was doing here this morning when he was encouraging us. The Spirit of God was encouraging us. Say, listen, you, you can have your breakthrough. You just have to claim it. You just have to believe it's yours. You don't have to stay in your bondage if you've been set free. Don't stay in your bondage. Don't let the enemy heap that bondage and that darkness back on you, but believe, lay hold of it. Don't let go of it because you're on the winning side. And as a believer, you're on the winning side. Colossians 2 verse 15 says this, God made us alive together with him. Say alive. Man, once we were dead, and now we're alive. We're alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way. How many are glad he's taken it out of the way? I mean, just removed it from your life. People, God has, re through Jesus Christ, and by faith as you are a believer and follow him, he has taken that stuff out of your way taking it out of your way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's what Jesus did. He was the victorious one. He won the battle. Jesus, and you think about it, and you can take this as far as you want to take it, but if you just think about it for a moment, Jesus left his throne of glory. He took a journey to a world that he himself created, a world that was now held in captive by sin and Satan. And he took the enemy, think about this, he took on the enemy on his turf. Now we know the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof, but we know that there's a prince of the powers of this world. It was his turf, and before Jesus Christ, he had laid hold on it. He laid claim to the world and all its people that were living in sin, and in reality, it was true. So Jesus comes, and he takes on the enemy on his turf, not with a host of angels as his army, 
but armed with two things, obedience and trust. And that's what we need to arm ourselves with, the obedience and trust in the Father's word. The Father said that he would be with Jesus to the end. The Father said he would not leave his soul in hell. He would not leave him in that dead state. But when Jesus as a man died on that cross, you have to understand that he died as a man, he died on that cross. He had to exercise the same obedience in going to the cross and the same trust in God that when he would die, that God was able to raise him to life again. That's the trust that Jesus had to have. Sometimes we don't realize. We think for some reason that, that he didn't have those emotions or feelings or that understanding, but we know he did. The Garden of Gethsemane tells us that. We cried and he, his sweat turned to blood as he agonized over if this is the will of God. And he determined if it is, I'll do it. So, so he took on the enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul calls it this. Listen, he calls it the hidden wisdom of God. All that Jesus accomplished and the way he did it was the hidden wisdom of God. In other words, it wasn't exposed. People didn't realize what was happening. The hidden wisdom of God, which none of the rulers of this age, which are the darkness of this age, understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified Jesus. If they understood the way Jesus was winning this victory and what was going to be accomplished through the cross, they would have never nailed Jesus to the cross. So it was the hidden wisdom of God. We give him thanks for this reason, guaranteed success. And we give him thanks not one time a year, but all year all the time we give them thanks. Here's the second. Second reality of why we can be thankful on a continual basis is that the believer's life has an undeniable impact. And I'll explain it in just a moment. The believer's life, you have a, an undeniable or certain impact. Second Corinthians chapter two again, go back to verse 16. Through us, Paul said, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we, believers, are to God the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved, and now he points out, Paul's bringing in here, that there are two groups of people. Those being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, and I never understood this, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. So that, that reality that, that will help us stay thankful is this. We have an impact. Paul calls believers, or Christians, if you will, I like calling believers, the aroma of Christ or the fragrance of Christ. I don't know if you've seen yourself that way but you ought to start seeing yourself that way because that's the way God sees his children. They're the fragrance, they're the aroma of Christ in, a, in this world. So that aroma, that fragrance has an effect on people it, or it makes people take note 
or gets their attention. That fragrance that you carry gets their attention one way or the other. Now, perhaps Paul's still thinking about the parade because in that parade there would be the priest of these pagan gods who would be shaking their incense carriers. And there was a fragrance that was there in that incense. And so the generals and soldiers marched as they marched through Rome. The sweet smell meant victory. That's what it meant. But to the captives, it meant death. Because they were marching their way to execution. After the parade, they would march their way to be executed. So they knew that. So this same fragrance was the fragrance of victory, was also the fragrance of death to the captives. They knew they were facing their own execution. Bring it home. Our lives, as we, we, we reflect Christ, impact people one way or the other. Several years back, and I read this story and it was in my notes, you remember, and I think it was six, seven, eight years ago, Tiger Woods was having his difficulties with his marriage. Now, at that time, Britt Hume, who was a Fox News commentator, uh, was asked his opinion about what was going on in Tiger Woods' life. He said, well, he said, really two things. He said, I think he'll come out of it, will continue to play golf, but as far as his marriage, he said, I don't know if he'll be able to recapture it. He said, the Tiger Woods that emerges once the news value dies out of this scandal, the extent, here's what he said, I quote, to which he can recover seems to depend on his faith. He said, he is said to be a Buddhist. And Britt Hume said this, I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message, Britt Hume said, to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Now he said that. Now, not surprisingly, his comments resulted in a tidal wave of criticism. He was called a bigot. He was called narrow-minded. And the next day, he went back on the television and radio to explain his remarks. And he took them further. <laughs> he said that, I quote, Christianity is uniquely and especially about redemption and forgiveness. This is what the cornerstone of what the faith is about. Now, other faiths aren't hostile to the ideas, but think of what the message of Christ and Christianity is. And he said this, it is that God of the universe sent his only begotten son who died a hideous death on the cross to atone for all of our sins. Near the end of his interview, he said this. He said, you know, I've gotten a lot of criticism, obviously out of this, not surprisingly, 
But he said, the name of Jesus has always been explosive. I want you to think about that. The name of Jesus has always been explosive. You almost can talk about any other faith. You can have a civil conversation until you bring up the Christian faith or Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's no discussion. There's nothing civil about it. There's anger that arises in one, and there's an acceptance that arises in another. It's always been that way. I, I found it in my life to be that way. I'm sure you found it in your life. You speak the name of Jesus, he said, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Literally. It shakes the gates of hell. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Did you ever understand that? That's what it's about. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. When Jesus came, what he did was like a sword. A sword cuts both ways. When we speak the good news of Jesus, not everyone will be happy with us. Is that true? Not everyone. Some will sneer, others will ignore us, and some will believe. Some will like it, some won't like it. Some won't care either way. The same message that produces life in one reveals death in another. That's what's happening. That's the picture that Paul's painting here. That's what he's saying here. It's the same message. The gospel is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways at the same time. Now, no, it reveals sin and then offers eternal remedy. <laughs> it explains our guilt and shows us the way to forgiveness. It strips away from us every self-centered excuse we have and then offers the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Undeniable impact we have. And the message that is in each and every one of us. And the message in you is not always what you speak. The message is you. It's your life. It's your attitude. It's your approach to conflict. That is the message. How do you handle? How do you handle your marriage? How do you handle things on the job? You're the message. You see, this good news, that's a sobering thought, that you're the message of good news. Now, you might be saying, like I've said, even while I went through this message, God, I don't think I've come across as good news all the time. Forgive me. I was down at these altars this morning when the Spirit of God was moving. God, I, I am not. But God said, I, I know you're not. <laughs> he knows you're not. He knows you're not. But even though he knows we're not, if you're a child of God and you're trying and you're sincere, he will use you for the good news sake. He's called you. He has no other plan, folks. You're his plan to reach the world. He's chosen you out of your darkness and raised you up. If you're like me, 
You think, God, why? Why me? And the person next to me gets it the other way. What was it that brought grace alive in my heart that I should believe and have these two realities working for me for the kingdom's sake? I don't think I'll ever understand why me. But it's undeniable impact. The name of Jesus is powerful, folks. It cuts both ways. Some people don't want to hear this name at all. At all. But that's the impact nevertheless. You see, whether they want to hear it or don't hear it, that's an impact. What I'm explaining, you have an impact one way or the other as a believer. That's just the way it is. Accept it. That's who you are. Whatever the message of Christ, or wherever the message of Christ has gone, it has always created controversy. It did it in Paul's day. Some believe it and find hope and peace and eternal life through Christ. Others reject it, sometimes angrily, because Christ threatens them down to the very core of their being. Our Lord stands as a rebuke. To every man who thinks, I don't need God. I, don't, I, I can do it my way. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need this Jesus you're talking about. And they will believe that way. That's impact. Some get very upset. We don't control how people respond. Years ago, at the beginning of my ministry, ministry, I, I realized that I, I, I needed to really work on my vocabulary. So I, I took a course downtown at Metro and signed up for a college course. And I don't know, somewhere in the beginnings of that course, we were walking from one room to another and the professor was walking with us and simply just asked me the question, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I preach the gospel. He said, I don't like that word preach. He asked me what I did. <laughs> it's like, did I lie to make him upset? No, I simply was. You simply are a believer, and that upsets people just the fact that you call on the name of Jesus. It's going to be that way. Now, at that time, I thought, oh, wow, how did I get into this? I don't think that way anymore. <laughs> just the way it is. Unbelievers can sense the fragrance of Christ in our lives. <laughs> some are attracted, some are repelled. And we're not responsible for who receives our message or who rejects it. Duke University did a study. And in this study, they said that most Americans report having some attempt to present the gospel to them. Most Americans have had some attempt at the gospel. And most say it was an unpleasant experience. Now, you can look at that initially and say, wow, that person didn't do it right. Or they weren't sensitive enough. 
or maybe they, were, they should have used a little bit more wisdom. And I don't deny that that can be true with some believers. But generally speaking, it's none of that. It's just because you were a believer in Jesus Christ. It's just simply because you've given your life over, you committed to him. I'm sure the same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. If you think about it, read about Paul. Everywhere he went, there was a problem. They were either throwing him out of city or throwing him in prison, or he was being beat for his faith. He was being mocked or ridiculed everywhere he went. That's just the way it is. And again, I want to say this. It doesn't mean that we try to offend. That's not what we're about either. But let me tell you this truth. You don't have to try. You just be who God has called you to be, a child of God who's committed themselves to live according to God's word and his truth, and you will be an offense to people, starting with your family. Is that right? Yeah. Starting with your family. I remember the early days and what it did in our family. And I realize what it does in families today. It splits families. And Jesus said it would happen. I wish I could do something about it. Sometimes you, 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 you cry out, you, you, you search, you want to do something. What can I do to mend this? And folks, keep praying that way, but it might not just happen just because Jesus is in your life. And that's the way it's going to be. Now, here's the encouragement today. It's the two things that I mentioned, the guaranteed success. So I'm encouraged in life to give thanks to God for all things. Why? Because I'm guaranteed success. I'm going to be in a parade someday, and so are you if you're a believer. I'm going to be in a procession someday where Jesus is being honored. And I'm in that procession, and I'm in that parade, not because of anything I did or deserve in my life, but because the one who my eyes are going to be on at that time won the victory through the cross of Jesus Christ and through the resurrection when he defeated the powers of darkness that held me in captivity, he set me free. I was a slave to sin, and so is every unbeliever, and I didn't realize it then. I was duped, I was deceived to believe that the life I was trying to live was the real life to live. And I didn't realize that I was in bondage to something I could do nothing about. Didn't matter if I changed locations or didn't matter if I changed relationships. It didn't matter. None of that matters. When you were away from Christ, you can't ever come to a place of freedom that God has designed for you to have until you're free from your sin and the guilt and the shame that goes with it. So I'm guaranteed success. When we're joined with Jesus Christ, we are on the winning side. How many glad you're on the winning side? I'm glad I'm on the winning side. Amen. We're on the winning side. We may lose a few battles. <laughs> But the victory belongs to the Lord. If we are on his side doing his work, we cannot lose. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you what? The Holy Spirit. 
which is so evident here this morning, whom he promised a long time ago. The Spirit is God's what? Guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. We have every reason to praise and glorify him simply because he is God. Second of all, our encouragement is this. Your life as a believer has impact. Some plant, Paul said this, some water, but God gives the increase. You're gonna, you have some impact in people's lives. So walk with your head high. Walk in total confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ who you serve. Walk in faith, believing and trusting, being obedient to God's word. He will see you through this life. But walk also giving him praise in all situations and thanks and have a thankful heart. Develop a lifestyle of thanksgiving as we move off of this subject and on to a new one next week. Let's not move off of the reality that we're to be thankful to God. We have every reason to be thankful for who he is, for what he has done, and for what he has promised for your future. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.